Today I want to share some good news and some bad news. Now pretend for just a minute that you're a Presbyterian pastor and of course you work with the session, the Board of Elders. The good news is that the session, the Board of Elders, have accepted your job description the way you wrote it. The bad news is that they were so impressed they formed a search committee to find someone capable of filling it. Friends, the church is not the kingdom of God, the reign of God, but the church serves and points to that kingdom. Now, let me start with some pretty sobering bad news about the state of the church in uh, our nation. The church in the United States across most denominations is currently facing stiff headwinds and continual declines in membership, attendance, and often in finances. In fact, our Presbyterian Church USA has not had a net gain in membership since 1964. I was in middle school. Dale was in elementary school. I don't think Emily was born. Uh, today, there are more Muslims in the United States than there are members of our denomination. There are more Wiccans, and colloquially speaking, Wiccans are witches, or they would say they've used the third eye to see into the future. They also worship numerous pagan gods and goddesses. There are more Wiccans in the United States today than there are members of the Presbyterian Church USA. As a result of our many congregations that are small and struggling, they are teetering on the edge of financial viability, just to keep the doors open or have the prospect of no longer being able to afford a full-time pastor. Fortunately, now, don't get word, this congregation is miles away from that reality, but many of the congregations in our own presbytery share the reality I just mentioned. And sadly, the church in Western Europe is in a far more advanced stage of decline than ours. Leslie Newbegin was a pastor in the United Reformed Church in England and Wales and had a, an amazing career serving Christ as a missionary in India, helping form a new denomination, bringing a number of Protestants together to form the Church of South India, a church today which is flourishing. Retiring to England, though, at age 70, but still a person of great energy, and that was back in the year 1980, when no one else would do so, he became the pastor of a very small and struggling church in a changing neighborhood in Birmingham in which many immigrants from Asia had settled. And he writes about that ministry. I've been struggling to fulfill the obligations of this pastorate. It is much harder than anything I met in India. There is a cold contempt for the gospel which is harder to face than opposition. As I visit the Asian homes in the district, most of them Sikhs or Hindus, those world religious traditions, I find a welcome which is often denied me on the doorsteps of the natives. I have now come to realize that England is a pagan society and the development of a truly missionary encounter with this very tough form of paganism is the greatest intellectual and practical task facing the church. Friends, those words could also describe the cultures in Sonoma and nearby Marin counties. There is stiff 
opposition to organized religion, in Newbegin's word, a cold contempt for the gospel that is rampant in our culture here, which surrounds us. So that by being here today, you're making a statement that most of your neighbors are unwilling to make in terms of faith in God as revealed in Jesus Christ. Now, during Jesus' ministry, his young movement appeared to some to be very insignificant and unimpressive. As a traveling healer and preacher, Jesus did attract huge crowds, huge throngs of people. But his own circle of committed followers, the 12 and those around them, was lacking in both size and sophistication. Now, do you ever feel discouraged as you look around about the, the health of the Christian movement in our culture? I think Jesus did in terms of the movement in his day and probably was at times discouraged. Certainly, I'm quite certain that his followers were often discouraged. And it was wanting to, his wanting to address that sense of discouragement which prompted him to tell the two parables that we're about to hear in just a moment from Elaine. Both are parables about God's kingdom, or put another way, God's kingly reign. According to the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the kingdom, the reign of God, is the central theme of Jesus' entire ministry. He emphasized the value and priority of God's kingdom over all else. It was the reason for our birth, the purpose for our lives, the hope that we have for the future. While Jesus taught that the consummation of God's kingly reign was still a future hope, at the same time, he also taught the kingdom was a present reality in his person and ministry and in the ministry of his followers as well. So, with that introduction, uh, Elaine's going to come and read for us from the Gospel of Luke, these two parables. From Luke 13. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like, and to what should I compare it? It is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in the garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again he said, to what should I compare the kingdom of God? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. The word of the Lord. So the first parable describes what happens to a mustard seed after it is planted. In time, it becomes a shrub, even a, a small tree, so that birds of the air make nests in its branches. Although Luke uses the verb grow, this parable is not really about the growth of the kingdom per se, about the growth process, but rather the stark contrast between tiny beginnings and grand and glorious ending. The mustard shrub in the Middle East today does not grow into a tall tree like the coastal redwood or even like a mature oak. 
but it does reach a height of 8 to 10 feet so that plenty of birds make nests in its branches. So to mix metaphors, but speak to more of our environment here, Jesus is saying, in essence, from a tiny acorn, a mighty or giant oak will grow. Now, the final phrase about the birds of the air making nests in its branches is also significant because passages in the prophet Ezekiel and Daniel use that exact phrase. And mention of that phrase in those books represent, respectively, the Assyrian and the Babylonian empires, symbols of Gentile power. So by incorporating that phrase into his little story, his little parable, Jesus is teaching that God's kingdom will one day surpass the mightiest empires the earth has ever seen, encompassing all peoples, all nations. So with God's kingdom, from small beginnings, something magnificent will develop. That's Jesus' message in the parable of the mustard seed. It was his word of encouragement to his followers. Someday, God's kingdom, God's kingly reign in which we are involved, will become visible and real to everyone on the planet. Now, in the parable of 11, Jesus is saying something similar, that God's kingly reign, which is now present in his person, will someday permeate the whole world. The kingdom of God, which is now inconspicuous to most, will one day be plain for all to see. Now, the normal method of bringing about fermentation in bread making in the ancient world was to insert into new dough a small amount of fermented leaven reserved from previous baking, sort of like the starter today. And this leaven causes a dramatic expansion in the new dough, so that even a very small amount of leaven will make dough expand into a much larger quantity of bread. And just so, God's kingly reign may initially be imperceptible, but it will produce powerful effects. Think for a minute about the cell phone. Invention of mobile phones that closely resemble today's cell phone is credited to Martin Cooper, employee and researcher at Motorola. He initially developed a cellular phone named Motorola Dynatac back in 1973. Five inches wide, nine inches long, this phone weighed two and a half pounds and carried 30 circuit boards in it. With a recharge time of, get this, 10 hours, it carried a talk time of 35 minutes, so keep those calls short. <laughs> this phone gave a comfortable talking experience to its users, but what was missing was any kind of display screen. Over time, as you well know, refinements were made, these mobile phones improved by leaps and bounds, the technology eventually produced great voice quality and international roaming facilities. So now there are a few places on the planet that are untouched by cell phones and even cell service. Now going back in time, a mobile phone or a cell phone was once something that only the wealthy had. But thanks to cost cutting, mass production and innovation, cell phones are now affordable for most everyone. Here's just an example. Uh, for more than 10 years, I've traveled with a group of people uh, something similar to what Corey's going to talk about just in minutes, about a house-building mission in Mexico. But rather than going 
just south of the California-Mexico border, we went opposite El Paso to Ciudad Juarez in Chihuahua, Mexico, to a very uh, poor colonia or neighborhood about 30 kilometers outside of Ciudad Juarez. And this is how poor the area is. There are no paved streets except for one which goes to a local factory. Otherwise, there's the, there's the highway and then there's just dirt. You can imagine when they get a little rain. It's just a mud pit. There's no water system, no central water system. There's no central sewage system. There is no reliable fire or police. Oh, sure, you can call them, but good luck. Your home will have burned down by the time they arrive. And most people live there in homes that are made of pallets and roof paper and an occasional two-by-four. Very primitive. Now, the men who were part of that missions ministries, it's, I know it's a kind of a strange name, but missions ministries is that ecumenical ministry, Christian, who work with local pastors, who screen families to decide who deserves the next house that mission teams will build. Those men live in conditions every one of us would label as very poor. Very poor. If we moved any of their houses and homes, which the staff lives here, you would say, oh, poor people. Literally. Now today, every one of those men on missions ministries teams has a cell phone. And they're doing what all our people do. They're looking and they're texting and, you know, we're building the house and they're talking to friends and cell phones, friends, are everywhere. Everywhere. It's quite amazing. So, friends, just as cell phones have invaded ours in nearly every culture on the planet, so will God's kingdom. Just as the cell phone project started slowly, with few people even aware of them today, everyone knows what a cell phone is. And by the way, there are almost as many cell phone subscriptions, 6.8 billion, as there are people on the planet, just over 7 billion. So in future, friends, God's kingdom, though it began in a small and seemingly insignificant way, when Christ comes again, will be glorious. And in the words of Habakkuk, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Good news today is that the church is growing dramatically, not here, but in the southern hemisphere especially in sub-Saharan Africa and in Latin America. And predictions are that by the year 2025, both those areas will have more Christians than does the continent of North America. And today, in fact, earlier today, in China, there probably were more people in worship, Christian worship, than in all of the continent of Europe. That's a huge, dramatic change. The church is growing dramatically, but not here, not in Western Europe. More good news. At present, the Christian faith is without question the world's largest religious tradition, claiming 32% of humankind and is the only truly global faith which is widely spread. Now, friends, one day, everyone will meet the risen Christ as he returns to consummate God's kingly reign. On that day, creation will be set free from its bondage to decay. We will be set free, those who trust in Christ, from our bondage to sin and death. 
given the gift of life everlasting and enjoy an intimate relationship with God. All things will be set right as divine justice and judgment will occur, which sound very scary, but our judge will be none other than our merciful Christ. Now, we cannot, while we cannot produce God's kingdom ourselves, we can pray for the consummation of God's kingly reign, something Jesus explicitly instructs us to do. We can serve and support God's kingdom by showing compassion in Christ's name, seeking justice, caring for creation, and spreading the good news of God's redeeming love for us and all people in the person of Christ. Amen.
Please pray with me.